0: education unimagined where give students an opportunity to share their voice in a system where often their voice is unheard. I ask them to share their experience and advice on how we can improve the experience for everyone. In this episode, I interview Sarah Hunt the owner of the company Purposeful Development. She is also an experienced educator and has taken an idea of school-wide authentic learning and put it into practice at a school where I met Sarah. The experience I had with the authentic learning, showed me how much she values student voice, which is why I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode with Sarah. We talk a lot about how student voice is a valuable part of authentic learning. I'm going to start by welcoming you, Sarah, to the podcast, Education Unimagined. I am really excited as you are both an educator and a consultant, You've taken some ideas and brought them to life. So if you
1: would start by sharing who you are. Well, first podcast, my name is Sarah Hunt and I am the owner of Purposeful Development, which is a professional development company where I really focus in on student motivation and authentic learning, how authentic learning can help student motivation. And other than that is student choice, which I know is a big focus for you. I am also an educator at Frederick Gunn School in Washington, Connecticut. So tell me a little bit about project-based learning. So project-based learning is just under the umbrella of authentic learning. Project-based learning, experiential learning, service learning, inquiry-based learning, all of these things fall under authentic learning. And so... Talk to me
0: about how authentic learning developed for you in your experience as an educator.
1: When I first started teaching, my first um, maybe year three or four, I was playing with my curriculum, and it honestly, it just felt right. It felt more real and more relevant to give my students opportunities to connect what they were learning to the real world. I started noticing my students becoming more invested and really learning on a deeper level. About that time, I started my master's degree. Through that programming, I was able to understand that there was research behind what I was seeing for myself. I had the opportunity to then work at Mid-Pacific Institute out in Honolulu, Hawaii, who had a great project-based learning program. They had a school within a school. They had gone out to High Tech High in California and built up their programming. So it was really lucky that at the time that I was internally feeling that project-based learning, authentic learning was more valuable, I was able to work with some great educators and understand the research behind the benefits to it all. And that's really where I kind of solidified my approach to education.
0: I was curious to ask you about how being a student impacted how you saw yourself as a teacher.
1: One of the best things we can do as a teacher is to put ourselves in our students' shoes and either try to remember what it was like for us or try to remember what it was like to be a 16-year-old or a 7-year-old and remember that you were a human with needs who wanted to be seen and valued and Heard as adults and as educators, we want to be seen and valued and heard. And ultimately, that is just a human need. And so, the more that we can offer that to our students, the better results we're going to get.
0: Can you talk about a challenge that maybe you had in your classroom and how your goals of authentic learning sort of shifted that
1: challenge for you or your students? Sure. Perhaps not necessarily the authentic learning piece, but I do authentic learning because I feel like that is the best way to get students to invest. And as we talked about student relationships, I think it's really important to build. There was a student I had really challenging me. She wasn't listening when I was talking. She was on her technology when she shouldn't be. And she was giggling with friends when I was talking, which was unlike her. At first I was really frustrated and I took it personally. And at first I almost said like angry, what is this student doing? But remembering, that she's just a human. I pulled her aside after class and let her know that I noticed this behavior. And I assumed positive intent. And I said, is everything okay? I notice you're behaving this way. Is there anything I've done to offend you? And she just got very emotional and upset. She thanked me for acknowledging her behavior. It turns out she had a lot of personal things happening in her life at the time. And to this day, I feel very grateful that I asked the question, is everything okay? Did I do anything to offend you? Can I help? Because my initial reaction wanted to call her out to give her consequences. I remember Leaving that situation, just being really grateful and so sure of that, this idea of building relationships and students as if they are humans and that what we're doing in the classroom really matters outside of this is really the best approach to education. And then the work that I got produced from her after that was some of her best work because she was able to understand that I'm not teaching her for a grade on a test. I'm not teaching her to get her to the next grade. I'm teaching her because I value her as an individual and I care about her as a, a learner, that's what authentic learning does. It shows that we care about our students as individual humans and not just students that were are moving through a system. That example reminds me of a conversation
0: I had with a parent that I interviewed, Kiana and her son, Tristan, a nonverbal six years old, and his behaviors were atrocious. And she had just wished that teachers had seen his behaviors as a communication that things weren't working. And so to hear you share that example of, I think any teacher would have taken that personally, (laughs) and probably would have handled it in a way that would have given consequences and reprimanded, but you stopped and remembered that perhaps she was communicating some information to you. We weren't receiving it the way we expected or she had hoped, but you did see the communication strategy. And I think good advice for all of us to think about. Kids are communicating with us through their behaviors and can we stop and think? How do you incorporate students' voice in authentic learning? It seems like it would be a natural aspect, but how specifically in a classroom do you feel students are able to incorporate their voice into the activities and learning that you're doing in your classroom?
1: Yeah, so we know the research is showing us the more autonomy you can give an individual, whether it's a student or other adults, the more invested the individual is going to be. So I am always trying to find ways to give students a voice and choice in the classroom. I teach English classes, so there are times where I need students to write because that is what the assessment is. But if I am just looking for thinking and understanding what the response is, sometimes I'll utilize ed tech to allow students to give me verbal feedback instead of writing it. If ultimately I want students to share with me what they understand and what they learn, and that's what I want to assess, then I can give them a choice on on how I assess that. Project-based learning, as we mentioned, is a great opportunity to give students choice because they can pick what interests them within the realm of the theme that you're trying to teach. So I sometimes will do bigger choices, such as I want the students to read a book around the issue of social justice or identity, I can choose four or five books that highlight that theme and then students can choose that book where they'll be able to find themselves in that book or the genre that they're interested in connecting, still run the entire classroom around the same theme and essential questions, even though I'm teaching four or five different books at the same time.
0: So then tell me about how you might work with educators to shift the way that they're teaching to add more authenticity to their curriculum.
1: The biggest thing that can do to add authentic learning or even simple student voice and choice is to start with the why, to start with the end in mind. And so to ask yourself, why am I teaching what I'm teaching? And what do my students need to know? And once you have the answers to those questions, then you can ask the question, How can I add authenticity to this? How can I add choice to this? Some things we can't shift as educators. We have standards that we need our students to meet objectives of goals we want them to learn. And so authentic learning is not this soft approach of kids can learn whatever they want and it doesn't really matter. We still have standards that we want them to meet. There's just a lot of flexibility on how you get there. And until you determine what is a must, you can't really play with, the Well, how can they show that in a different way?
0: Hmm. I guess that's a really simple thing to think about as an educator to stop and really evaluate what are the musts, why do I need my students to do this, and why do I want them to do this are two really very different things. How do you go
1: about deciding what
0: is a must in a class? The
1: must is the objective. You have standards that you need your students to meet. If that is that they must learn to write a five-paragraph essay, they must understand some math theorem, then they must learn that. Not all teachers get the choice of what they get to teach. So they maybe don't get to ask the, why are we teaching this? And is it valuable to teach this? But what they can ask is, what are the musts for them to understand this? What must they know? And then you can start playing with how Does this relate to the real world? Where would a student see something similar to this in the world? Or how can they connect it to something that is happening in their lives? In what ways could a student demonstrate it? Does it have to be written? Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. There's really creative other ways. And I have found that students are able to show me so much more when I give them the opportunity to choose how they want to demonstrate that.
0: How do you go about allowing students that voice in their choice? I think a lot of teachers struggle with students don't really know what they need and what they want. Mm. How does a teacher really kind of relinquish that control?
1: Yeah, I think just with like anything, scaffolding is really helpful. But I will say, I think that is probably one of the biggest challenges as a teacher. And this is why building relationships with students is very important, because not every student is going to be able to take the broad opportunities that you might want to present to them. Some of them really need choice A and choice B. And for them, that can be overwhelming for some really high performing students. They are very anxious. And want to perform well, and so they want you to tell them how to do it and move on. So this idea of you have to consider how you want to show me can be really overwhelming for a lot of students. Think that that is where the really deep learning is occurring. The deeper learning is for them to have to make choices, for them to understand what their strengths and weaknesses are, for them to have to understand where they need support. Some students need daily check-ins, and we need to set goals, and I need to check in with them to make sure that they've met that goal. Some students don't need that at all. Some students, I can say, choose anything you want, and they'll go out and choose anything they want. Some students, I will give them four options, and that is too overwhelming for them. For students who come from educational background that had very little voice and choice, this is a huge, huge shift for them. And it's uncomfortable, which I think that there is a lot of growth and discomfort. Failure is the part of the learning process, but the students have to know that they can trust you, that you're not setting them up for colossal failure. And so the conversation I have the most is when a student says, I want to get my essay published because that's an authentic audience. If I support them through that. These high-powered students, their first thing will be, what if I don't get it published? What would my grade be? And I have to reassure them that ultimately what I am assessing is what their learning process is. And so if they go and they learn how to get something published and they come back and they learn all of the reasons why it wasn't getting published and what they need to do and they've made all of that growth, that is... learning. And that's what I'll assess. It takes a while for students to believe that I really care about their learning process opposed to their end product. And that takes time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about that fear in a lot of students and that lack of trust. How do you know what kind of choice a student is open to, especially in the early
1: days of a class? From little things, I will start off my first class. I ask students to do a survey where they give me feedback. I also ask them to do one of the personality tests, but then they have to give me feedback on whether they agree with that or not. So that's kind of my first introduction to it. I try to learn things about my students that are unrelated to school so they can connect to them in that way. I have to genuinely care about who they are as individuals for them to believe that because uh, kids are real smart and they know when you're just performing and so they really need to fail Like I care about who they are as an individual more than I care about who they are as a student. And that does take time. And so I try to start off the year with smaller projects or smaller assignments. And sometimes I miss the mark. I just did a project. I am in a new community and I don't know the student body that well. Most of my students really didn't meet where I was hoping that they would get. But it's really important for me to take ownership in that experience. If my students aren't getting to the bar that I have raised, then I have not helped them get there. And so really to take ownership of what I missed about these students, what they needed to get to where I wanted them to go. And so when we do a new unit, I now have that much more information on the students. I've learned so much more about those students. The next time we do it, I'm going to be able to push them a little bit farther. As you were talking, I was thinking about the importance
0: of being an educator who's willing to accept their own mistakes, accept their own missteps, and that right there is a really critical place for building a relationship with students. Absolutely. Tell us about... Your vision of school-wide project-based learning evolved, how you got it off the ground, and how the school was willing to adopt and provide as an opportunity for students.
1: To your listeners, I want to clarify that you're referring to the experiential learning program that I piloted and implemented at a previous school where for two and a half weeks, students, instead of traditional classes, students were able to choose an experiential learning opportunity that they wanted to engage in. As you can tell, I'm very passionate. I think that authentic learning is very important. I don't think it's too hard to get people excited about doing something that they love for two and a half weeks and sharing that passion. Convincing them that they'd have the support and resources to do that was was really important. But my overall hope for it was that it would inspire change in the classroom. On one hand, while it's a lot of work, and I think anyone who did it wouldn't say that it's easy, it's easier to incorporate experiential learning principles and gold standard PBL when that is what you're being tasked to do without all of the demands of when you're in the classroom, the tests that the students have to take and the demands that the students need, that can become Overwhelming to think about, well, how do I do that and incorporate project based learning or experiential learning into the classroom? My hope with integrating the school wide experiential learning program, which in and of itself is extremely valuable, was to show educators the benefits and hopefully have that then be brought back into the traditional classroom as well. Now, I think a lot of teachers are passionate about their subjects. I think there's just this expectation or box of this is how you teach chemistry and this is how it's been taught before and this is how you're going to continue to do it because it's the only way you've seen it or the only way you've seen learning be successful but then when you are teaching students something else that doesn't have this is how you have to teach it and you add authentic learning to it you can see how successful that is then you can see well I could do that also in chemistry class I could also incorporate those principles and those guidelines because as we're talking about authentic learning there are standards and there are best practices I know that they're kind of buzzwords and the educational world right now, but for anyone who does want to jump in to try to know that it's important to understand the principles behind them and not just jump in and give it a go. Support is really important, whether that be another colleague who's also trying it. There's literature and podcasts out there, how to do that, videos. I would encourage anyone who is interested and intrigued about all the benefits to get support and resources to be successful, because it can be overwhelming if you don't have that.
0: So then let's talk a little bit about something that I might be able to add in to sort of dip my toes into authentic learning. What would you suggest I do?
1: If you're starting with your objective, what you want students to learn, that's number one. You have to do that. Then ask, what can students create or connect to the real world that is related to that? Project-based learning is actually where the learning occurs. And so the students are learning through the project. They're not creating something at the end of what they've learned. Scaffolding and plotting out that project for students is very important, especially if it's your first time. Buck Institute is a great place to understand project-based learning, talk to other teachers, how other teachers are doing it. We live in an age where there's just so many resources and support that's not really hard to come by.
0: Let's talk about what your focus is for purposeful development, what your goals are, and what kind of work they might be able to connect with to, to build with
1: you. I love Teaching. I love pedagogy. I love education. It really jazzes me up. And the thing I actually love most is teaching teachers how to teach and helping improve the environment. So Purposeful Development has three tiers of offerings. The basic professional development, where I come in and give your teachers a session on how authentic learning can improve student motivation. When students are motivated, they're going to be more engaged. in your teachers and your students are going to have a better classroom experience. I also do consulting and implementation work. If you have a program in place already that you feel could improve your students' motivation or your students' performances, whether that is a behavioral a management system or a reward system, I can come in and look at what you're doing and understand what your goals are and and consult on how you can maybe improve your programming. Or I could do implementation, what I've done at previous schools where I've built out a whole experiential learning program, school-wide program, and help you implement that into your schooling.
0: What if I'm an individual teacher? Is there a way for an individual teacher to connect with you?
1: Absolutely. My website is purposefuldevelopment.org and you can connect me there or you can reach out at shunt at purposefuldevelopment.org. I absolutely would be excited to talk to any teachers who want to bounce off ideas. It's what I do in my spare time, just talking about education and practices. And I'd be really excited to, to speak to anyone who is interested in, in getting involved in this.
0: What is some advice that you would give to another educator? If you were sitting down at a table with me and able to offer me some advice, what kind of advice would you give to an
1: educator? I think going back to the response of asking the question, why in any situation is the most valuable thing that you can do. And so if it is the curriculum you're building, why are you doing it? If it's a student behavior, why is the student behaving this way? If it is something that you're asking a student to produce, why am I asking the student to produce this? And be really honest with the answers or look really hard for the answers because I don't think that you can really proceed successfully in any situation unless you fully understand the why. That's some great advice.
0: I'm going to put all of your information in our show notes on social media. Are there areas where people can follow you? Are you posting ideas via social media?
1: Yep. Yep. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank
0: you so much, Sarah, for your time and your really valuable insights.
1: Excellent. Thank you for having me.
0: I want to share an analogy. About a basketball team. If you are creating a basketball team, the likelihood that you are going to stack your team with natural basketball athletes is pretty slim. You know, as a coach, that you have to train athletes to become. Better athletes. You have to coach them. You have to guide them. Leadership is the same thing. We have to train leaders. We have to guide leaders. We have to coach leaders. And if you or somebody you know is someone who could use some of those leadership trainings, I have a great program for you. It's called the Leadership Academy. And if you search peers, not fears, you will come across my Leadership Academy. If you haven't already, Please subscribe to the podcast Unimagined for all the amazing upcoming interviews that I have on the slate. The theme music for this podcast Unimagined was written and produced by another fellow educator, Keith McClendon.